Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55, 1 through 9. Why don't you stand? We're gonna, I'm going to read God's word and you follow along. Here we go. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you did not know shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Father, thank you for this great invitation to this banquet of joy and everlasting satisfaction. God, you are so good, so good to invite us into all that is in Christ. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us a heart that leaps for joy at who you are and what you've done. Father, teach us today. In Christ's name, amen. So Isaiah 55 is an invitation for you to come. And it is an invitation for you to come to something spectacular. And it's an invitation that is so central in the Bible that you are going to find in John chapter 4, in John chapter 6, in John chapter 7, that Jesus comes back to Isaiah 55 again and again and again and again using this same imagery to call you into something spectacular. In fact, the Bible closes with Isaiah chapter 55. If you go to the last book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 22, as everything is wrapping up and we've been given this scope of how everything's going to end and the glory that's coming to the saints, John ends Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17 by saying, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. That's the church saying, Come, Jesus and let the one who hears say, come. And then he says, and let the one who is thirsty come. That's Isaiah 55, 1. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. That's Isaiah 55, 2. All right? So what, what, I want, what I'm telling you here is this invitation is central and, and sweeps throughout the Scriptures. God calling you into life, abundant life. And how spectacular is it today that God would invite us to that? Yesterday we were at the playground of Crystal Beach and we, were, we had some family in and they had a little girl. And so we were making the rounds. We went to every little PlayStation at Crystal Beach, walked all the way around. We were there a couple hours and we got to the last one and 
It's got a big climbing wall. It's got a big climbing rope deal. And, and we were enjoying that. And we'd look over. Where's Colt? Where's Colt? You know, he'd be gone. And he's, he's taken off for the pavilion. There's a pavilion set up over there, a brick pavilion. People have parties in. And somebody had set up for a birthday party. And, man, they had balloons around the entire thing and they had i think it was a monsters inc theme maybe but they had these big blow up monsters inc things and they had party supplies there wasn't any people there yet you know just one guy laying down on the table you know holding it we're hoping we're hoping it wasn't his birthday that'd be really sad but anyway we're hoping he was just holding it for other people you know but it and and we turn out call you know come back we take him back we put him in front of all the play stuff and we turn around be messing with the other kids there he goes off he's off again you know he wants to go what we could not get through his 18 month old brain was you're not invited you know you're not invited it they don't know you you know it's not your party you know, it's not your stuff you're not invited and so how, how incredible is it that God says come come everyone but I want you to notice there is a qualification come everyone who thirsts all right so what, what he's saying here is only thirsty people are invited into the joy of the Lord. Now, why, why would that be? Well, if you're, if you're an I'm fine person, and you know what, there may, be some, there may be some of those folks here today. You know what an I'm fine person is? They don't need nothing. They are a self-made man, self-made woman. They, they don't need nothing. They're fine. You know, man, don't, don't ever expect them to offer a prayer request because they're not going to do it. You know why? They're fine, right? They're fine. Don't, don't expect them to, to, to be, you know, broken. I mean, why? Because they're fine. They're always all fine. Like, they don't need anything. They, they've made their life. They're capable. They can handle it. In fact, they're the type of folks who are going to say, hey, you, you pray for somebody else. You, you know, other people, you, you take care. I'm fine. I got my life all together. You're not invited. Ah, that's scary, isn't it? You're not invited. Because it's only for the thirsty. That's the only folks that are invited. Just come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. He who's no, who, who has no money, okay, who's got nothing, come, buy, and eat. All right, now, now this is not an Isaiah 55 thing. This is actually a whole Bible thing. In fact, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, when <coughs> John is speaking, or Jesus is speaking to the church at Laodicea, he says this about them. He says, for you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. Man, these, are, these folks are living in a prosperous place, a prosperous town. They, they've got it all together. They're highly educated. They've, they've, they've got it all taken care of. And, and they say, man, we don't need anything. We're doing great. Man, we're awesome. We got it all together. And Jesus says, no, you don't. He says, not realizing you are wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked. They don't have it all together, but they don't realize they don't have it all together. Jesus has a section in the Sermon on the Mount, or it's in Matthew 5, I, I believe, actually. The beginning of Matthew chapter 5. And it, it's called the Beatitudes. Have you ever heard of it before? One of my favorite passages, and it's one of my favorite because it has the word blessed in every verse. Blessed are these folks. Blessed are these folks. Blessed are these folks. Blessed, 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 blessed. You know, and whenever I see the word blessed, and I, I know some of you don't, you don't like this, and, and you have like a theological interpretation, that's fine. I see the word happy, okay? Now, I know they're not the exact same thing, but they're close, okay? They're close, so blessed fortune. So Jesus is saying, happy are these people. And, and it's really odd because you know what the first one is? 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why would he say that? And then you go on, blessed are those who mourn, you know? Then you get to verse 6 and it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be, and then here's another favorite word of mine, satisfied. Satisfied is a great word. It's one of the best in the English language. It just sounds good, doesn't it? Satisfied, you know, satisfied. It's filled up, man. You got all you need, okay? But who's going to be filled up? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Who's going to get the blessings of God? Those who are poor in spirit. This is exactly what Isaiah 55 is saying. Isaiah 55 says, God's invitation is for those people who know they desperately need it. That's who God's invitation is for. God's invitation is for those who say, you know what? I'm not going to make it on my own. You know what? I can't fill the hole in my soul. You know what? I can't get forgiveness for myself. You know what? I can't be good enough. I can't purchase my own salvation. I can't work my way into heaven. Man, I'm in trouble. God says, all right, you finally got it. Now, come. Come to me. Come those who are thirsty. Now, what's God inviting us into? Okay, so let's look at that. So you got verse 1. Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, okay, so waters, you guys know money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money, without price, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, all right, so what have we saw so far, water, bread, wine, milk, okay, what is Jesus inviting us here to, it sounds like he's inviting us to supper, okay, and in a way he is, but would you, would you, would you hang with me here and understand he's not talking about this, okay, how do I know he's not talking about this? Well, if we, if we took the time, we're going we're gonna to get there later. But we go to John chapter 4. Jesus goes to a well. Remember that? He goes to a well. There's a, there's a woman there at the well. This woman has been trying to fill her life with the wrong things her whole life. Okay? Relationship after relationship. You know, sin after sin. She's been trying to fill herself up. And never, she never can get satisfaction. And she meets Jesus. And Jesus says, the water that I give would fill you up forever. And she's like, but Jesus, you ain't got no bucket. And I know we can't see these things, but I bet you anything, when she said, Jesus, you don't have a bucket, I bet Jesus went like this, you know. I bet he did that, kind of like this. And he said, all right. No, I'm not talking about that water, right? Remember what he says? That water, you drink it, you'll be thirsty again. He says, I'm talking about something that will quench your thirst forever, your, your spiritual thirst. Okay, so we understand, right, that when Jesus says, you know, come, God says, come give me water and wine and milk and bread. He's not, he's not talking about physical water, wine, milk and bread. He's talking about spiritual. Now, why does he use those images? Why? Because what, what keeps you alive? Bread and water, essentially, right? And when we think about the staples of life, we think about bread and water, right? Those are the basic staples of life, bread and water. And that's what gives you life. And so what is Jesus saying? He's calling us into life. He says, come to me, and I'll give you what you need to live. But then, but then he goes on and talks about milk and wine and, and, and even rich food. You see that? That's what you eat at the, the senior adult small groups. Rich food, okay? Delight yourselves in rich. That's in verse 2, rich food. Okay, now, what's that about? Well, let me tell you this. Nobody eats ice cream to stay alive. Have you, have you noticed that? Nobody eats ice cream to stay alive. Right? Like, that's not why people go to Brahms and Orange Leaf and, and the Dairy Queen. No. You know why you eat ice cream? To be happy, right? Huh? 
You're satisfied, right? Excited. It's, it's, it's good, right? That, that's why I eat ice cream. Nobody's like, you know, I'm about to starve to death. I don't know if I can make it to work tomorrow. Let's go to Orange Leaf. You know, no, that, that doesn't happen. People are like, you know, you just had a big meal, right? You said you filled up, and you're like, I think we should go get some ice cream, right? It's, it's like the joy of life. That, that's kind of what wine represents there. The psalm says wine gladdens the heart. And so what I want you to understand here is that what God is inviting us into is joy and delight. Now, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove this to you from the Scriptures because it is so good. I, 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 I hate, I cringe when, when people look at Christianity as the not joy choice, right? There, there, there are people in the world that look at that. They're like, okay, what the devil offers, what sin offers, what my flesh offers is joy, but what God offers is a life of not joy and, 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 and bad and, and boring and dull, and then, but you get to go to heaven and you don't burn in hell. That's, that's so sad. That is not at all what the Bible says. Okay, the Bible is, is calling you into infinite joy and delight. Let me show you that. Okay, let's let's look at it from Isaiah. Since we're in Isaiah, let's look at it from Isaiah. First of all, so in Isaiah chapter nine, we have this glimpse of the coming Messiah. Remember nine six? It's a famous verse. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And shall because you know that that verse about the coming of Jesus. Okay, so in that passage, here's how he starts it out. He says, "You have multiplied the nation; you have increased its joy." What's the Messiah going to do? He's going to increase joy. He says, they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they dis- uh, divide the spoils. In Isaiah 12, uh, 3. Man, we should have added this to our memorization. If I'd have thought of it, I'd have put this one in, okay? Because it's a fantastic verse. It's easy to memorize. It says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Isn't that beautiful? With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Is he talking about this, my friends? No, he's not. He's saying, man, come to me, dip your bucket in what I'm going to give, and you're going to, with joy, draw water from the wells of salvation. In Isaiah chapter 51, listen to this. This speaks of the coming, what's going to happen. It says in verse 11, and the ransomed of the Lord. Who's the ransom of the Lord? That's those who have been bought by Jesus Christ, right? So let me raise your hands. You're the ransom of the Lord. Here's what it says about you. The ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. Wow. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. You open up your New Testament, and what do the angels proclaim to the shepherds about Jesus' birth? Unto you, this, this news of what? Great joy. A news of great joy for all peoples. You go through the Gospels, and Jesus is preaching and teaching, and he settles down at the end of his, his ministry. And in John 15, 11, he tells his disciples, These things I have spoken to you. Why? Jesus, why did you tell us all that stuff? Why did you do all those sermons? Why did you, you tell us about God? Why, Jesus? Well, here's why. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That's why Jesus came. That's why he spoke this truth to you. Psalm 16, 11, we look at it all the time. Okay, what does it say? It says, in your presence, to be in God's presence is fullness of joy, fullness of joy, 
pleasures forevermore. As we move into the epistles, what do we find from the Apostle Paul? We find him saying in Philippians three or four times, and in almost every other book he wrote at least once, Philippians 4, 4, he tells the church, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And how about Psalm 36, verse 8? For no particular reason other than that it's kind of one of my new favorites, okay? Psalm 36, verse 8. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink. Where? From the river of your delights. I I just love that. God's got a river full of delights, and we get to go and drink from it. All right, now, what are all those verses and about seven or eight hundred more in the Scriptures, Old and New Testament, what are they all telling us? They are telling us that Jesus came and He lived and He died and He rose again to call you into joy. To call you to Himself where you might be infinitely happy. Folks, here's, here's a great just principle about life. Sin brings misery. Remember Romans eight thirteen. Romans 8, 13 says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die, right? Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, all right? Now, if you need evidence of that, I don't know, read the news, okay? Look around, uh, examine people. What you will find is when people live in sin, they don't get happier They get more miserable. Their life falls apart. There's catastrophe and tragedy, and there's not an inner peace. Okay, And they die separated from God into into an eternal wrath and, and separation and judgment. But what Jesus calls us into is life and joy. So, why should you memorize Scripture in the month of April? Because I tell you to? No, that's a terrible reason. Because I guilt you into it. I'm hoping that works, but it probably won't. It never works on anything else. Why should you do it? For your own joy. Why should you read your Bible? Why should you try to know God more? Why should you give yourself to prayer? Now, there's other reasons. I'm not saying there's not. The glory of God, obedience, the mission of God. I mean, but ultimately it comes down to what we believe about Jesus. He's, He's not tricking us. He's not not calling us into, hey, come here, and I'll lead you into misery. No, he's leading us to ultimate and infinite joy. So trust him. Why should you love your brother? Why should you, any of that, for your joy? Now, does that mean that once you become a Christian, you only get joyful things in your life? Now, have you been here? Man, we just went through Romans 8. We just, the end of Romans 8, what it's all about, who can separate from the love of God? So persecution, you know, nakedness, peril, sword, slaughter, right? Those things are going to happen. But it's kind of like this. It's kind of like a road trip. I I, I like road trips. It's kind of like a road trip where you know the destination is so fantastic. I mean, it it is so out of this world going to be good. And your travel companion is infinitely faithful and he's dependable and he's full of mercy and riches and goodness. And so you know what that means? You know where you're going is, is, is out of this world good. You know who you're with is, is nothing but a joy. That means that the flat tire and the torrential rainstorm and the overheated radiator in Death Valley and the little hole-in-the-wall motel that the cockroaches came out at night and the walls were paper thin, that means even through all of that, you maintain your joy. 
You don't like the cockroaches. I'm not saying you're like, ah, oh, look, honey. Friends. No, I mean, that's silly. Right? You get up, you know, but you're able to, you're able to go on. And you're able to actually keep your joy. Why? Because where you're going, because who's with you? That's kind of like the Christian life. Notice that the joy that God calls us into here is lasting. All right, let's jump into John 4. I've talked about it over and over again. This is the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. Here's what Jesus tells her. He says in John chapter 4, verse 13, he says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. Never thirsty forever. Isn't that great? What's he saying there? What I'm going to give you, what I'm going to give you is going to last. John chapter 6, verse 35. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's telling us what I give is lasting. All right, so verse 1, come. Come, all you thirsty folks, come. Come to the waters, come, come, come get from me. Notice he says, come buy from me. But you can't buy it because it doesn't have money. You don't have money and, and, and it doesn't have a price. Okay? You're, you're, that's because only the poor in spirit are those who seek it. But he says, come to me and get this. And then he says in verse 2, Why are you spending your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Okay, so verse 2 is saying, if you're not coming to me, why? That's a great question. And, and, and he phrases it like this. Why, why are you chasing after? Why are you running after? Why are you pursuing? Why are you trying to fill your life up with that which is not bread? Guess what? Self-exaltation is not bread. For you to try to fill your life up with people, the applause of people and the recognition of people is not bread. Guess what? Money It's not bread. If you're trying to fill your life up with it, it's not bread. What Other people. Sometimes we, we try to complete our life. We try to be fulfilled. We try to find our ultimate happiness in a spouse, you know? And then when that doesn't work, those little critters, you know, the, the kids, you know, we try to find it in them. And then when that doesn't work, we pray for grandkids, you know? Maybe we, we, try, to, we try to find it in people. It's not bread. And he says, why do you give your labor for that which does not satisfy? Good friend of mine, probably a good friend of many of yours as well, has celiac disease. And uh, so whenever I go to eat with him, we got to go places that he can eat because he can't eat any gluten. And the reason he can't eat any gluten is because celiac disease, what it does is it slicks down those little hairs in your intestine. This is a layman's explanation, by the way. Okay, so slicks down those little hairs so that they don't, catch the nutrients they don't they don't absorb the nutrients from the food and so so someone in advanced celiac it's pretty interesting they can eat a loaf of bread in the morning and a loaf of bread at noon and donuts in between and loaf of bread at night and man they can they can eat all kinds of they can eat all kinds of stuff and they'll die they'll die of starvation because their body stops absorbing the nutrients well, I'm telling you, folks, there's a lot of spiritual celiacs, okay? They're, they're going after all kinds of things in their life. They're trying to fill their life with drugs and alcohol and, and self-exaltation and money and fame and, 
And the more they try to fill, the more they're starving on the inside. I've told you before about the fascinating article I read in Time Magazine about methamphetamines. And it talked about how, you know, it creates this reality while you're on the drug, this reality that, you know, everything is awesome, you're awesome, you know, everything you've done is, you know, incredible. You're the best person that's ever walked the face of the planet, you know. And then when you come down, it's you're the worst and everything's horrible. It's driving you to get it again. But the more that people go back to that which does not satisfy, which is not bread, actually the more they're able, even when they're not on the drug, to experience happiness. I remember reading that and just thinking, wow, how horrific that you can damage yourself where the giggle of a baby isn't as happy as it was. Where a, a butterfinger blizzard doesn't satisfy like it did. It doesn't taste as good. Where riding mountain bikes with your buddies on a beautiful day isn't as fun as it was. Like you damage your, yourself. Folks, that's what sin does. Sin damages you. The more you try to stuff your life with the wrong things, the more numb you become to being satisfied. And so God says, man, why why are you laboring for that which doesn't satisfy? Why are you spending yourself for that which is not bread? Now here's my question. How, How does God satisfy us? So if we come, if you respond today, and you come, you come to, to God for, for true bread. What, what is the bread that he gives? Okay, if it's not wonder bread or donuts, what, what is it? Well, we can answer that very scripturally by going to John chapter 6. So if we go back to John chapter 6, Jesus says, and uh, I'm going to start reading in verse, uh, how about 32? Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now look at verse 35. I think we have this one on the screen. Jesus said to him, them, I am the bread. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So he says, what's the bread that the Father gives that he promised in Isaiah 55? I'm that bread. And so when you come to me and you're joined to me, He's going to give you life. When you're connected to Christ by faith, He's going to give you literally resurrection life forever. Okay, When you come to Jesus and you're joined to Him, now you have life forever. Indeed, He gave you life. But not just like you're going to exist forever. No. He gave you abundant life. Okay, How how does that work? Well, John chapter 7. John 7, 37. On the last day of the feast of the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. What do you mean, Jesus? Verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, what's going on there? He's saying that out of a believer, out of someone who's turned away from faith or turned away from sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ, that out of them is going to come this river of water, living water. What does he mean by that? Well, look at the next verse, verse 39. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. And so how does Jesus give us life? Well, he gives us the Spirit. 
So now we're connected to Christ, to eternal life, but now we have the Holy Spirit in us revealing the truth about God, revealing who His character is, what He's like, what He wants for us, the promises of Scripture, the great hope that's coming, and as we embrace those things by faith, we begin to experience joy, real joy. You know, as I was thinking about why why does He use these images of bread, water, food, rich food, Wine, milk, why, why, why this? Here's, here's why I think. I think because what he's getting at is that being connected to God in a faith relationship is not just knowing things about God, it's experiencing things about God. How many of you have ever, and we've got to be careful when we talk about experience, okay? It's not, it's not the foundation, the truth. But, but how many of you have, have experienced the joy of the Lord? Like there was nothing else no other reason to be joyful other than the Lord, Jesus. Like, he just thrilled your soul. On the other hand, how, how many of you have experienced the displeasure of the Lord? Like, you sinned, you said something, you did something, and it wasn't like you know in your mind that God would not be pleased about it. It's almost like you can feel his eyes on you, right? How many of you have ever experienced being led by the Lord? Like, you, you just knew, this is what God has for me. He's leading me. Okay, I think that's why he uses eating and drinking and water and bread and wine and milk. I think because he's saying, when when you come to me, you're not just going to know about me. You're going to know me. I mean, I I don't just know facts about Emma. Man, I I went on adventures with Emma, and I've experienced her encouragement and her comfort and her humor. And, you know, we, we share life together. We're, we're able to be in a crowd of people and hear somebody talking about something and we look over at each other and just glance. And we know what each other's thinking. And so the Bible is saying, come to me and experience God. Experience His promises and His truth that will bring you this eager longing, this hopefulness, this, this comfort, this love, this gratitude. Come to Him. Now real quickly, how do we come? All right, pick up in verse 2. So why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, your labor for that which is not satisfied? And now he begins to tell us how we come. He says, first of all, listen. Look, look at the end of verse 2. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Now stop right there. So the next three phrases all start with listen diligently, incline your ear, and hear. Now, now why, why does he do that? He does that because we don't have his attention. You, you see, you know what sin has done to us? It's made us a little spiritual ADD, okay? Like, we, we're, not, we're not tuned in to what would give us life. Oh, Colt, let me tell you something about him. He can be in the living room, and the TV can be on full volume, Disney Channel, Okay? Blaring some cartoon or something. The other kids can be in there wrestling and roughhousing. And there's a, a chaos of noise blaring. And Emma can be across the room, it, through the little foyer, you know, past the desk, past the dining room, in the kitchen, all the way against the wall. And she can open up the cabinet under the, the, the stovetop. And she can grab one of those pans as gently as possible and pull that pan out. Ours are stacked, okay? So pull that. It makes a little clank, clank. 
he's like, bing, you know, here he comes, you know, dang, 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 you know, you know, his mind is, you got out the pan, give me the food, you know, I mean, he, he's, incline your ear, that's what that means, he, he, there's a couple things he really likes, food, choo-choo's, all right, he likes choo-choo's, you can be anywhere in this town. We've, we've seen this. Anywhere in this town. You're talking. We're in a group. We're in a small group. Choo-choo. We're like, what, what's he looking at? We listen real close. Well, sure enough. I can barely hear that. But yeah, you're right. That's choo-choo. Okay, here, here's our problem. We are a distracted people. Why does he have to tell us to hear? Why does he have to tell us to incline our ear? Why does he have to tell us to listen diligently? You know why? Because we're not paying attention. We're people that run full blast with our eyes closed after the wrong things. We're people that are supposed to know that only God satisfies us. What are we doing? We're we're paying attention to everything else. Right? We're on our phones looking at Facebook. We just looked at it literally three minutes ago and there was nothing interesting on it. Nothing. But we're back on it looking again. Why? Why? Listen diligently to me. Incline your ear. Hear that your soul may live. He's saying, listen. I'll satisfy, slow down and pay attention. Man, I'm telling you, mankind, we struggle with this. There's abundant examples out there. People, they're chasing the same thing. They've been chasing for 30 years. And it hasn't satisfied them. And it's not satisfying them. And they're still giving their life to it. He says, come to me. Come to me. Folks, when you look only by sight, when all you're looking at is what, what is tangible, you're missing it. All right, quickly, verse 6. How are we going to come? Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. I don't have time to unpack this, but part of what that verse says is you better seize your opportunities because you won't always have them, okay? But I don't have time to talk about that, but that is part of what that verse says. But I want you to notice how he says to seek, okay? He says, first of all, call upon him. Come. Why, why do you call upon somebody? You have a need. Call upon the Lord. Okay, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So, so come and call to him. But as you're doing that, make sure that you are forsaking, turning away from your own way and your own thoughts. Why is that important? Here's why. Because it's impossible to come to God and say, God, I trust you. I want you. You can satisfy my soul. Give me what you offer. And at the same time, be overhearing your sin saying, God, I don't trust you. And I don't think you know what's best. And I'm not going to go after what you want. I'm going to keep this thing right here. People try. You can't do both those. Okay? And so if you're going to call upon him legitimately, then you've got to forsake your own way. And notice he says your own thoughts. Now, why, why does he say, 
Why does he say that? Why does he say forsake your own thoughts? Well, here's why. We need to learn to have a natural distrust of our own thoughts. Okay, so seeking the Lord means turning away from your own thoughts, your own ways. Proverbs chapter 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And what? Some of you memorize that? Lean not on your own understanding. Here's what I know about me and about you. I learned this from Romans 6, 7, and 8. You are bent towards sin, and I am bent towards sin. My, my body, my mind, my flesh, my, I, I'm, I'm inclined towards sin. Here's what I know about sin. I learned this from Ephesians 4, 22. It is full of deceitful desires. It's really good at it. Okay, so put those two together. I'm inclined towards sin, and sin is really good at fooling me. Okay, what else do I know? I know my feelings and my emotions are tainted by my sinful self. Okay, so all of those things come together in this. I should not trust myself. This is exactly the opposite of what the world's going to tell you. What's the world going to tell you? Go with your gut. Okay, you know, you know what kind of percentage I've got on going with my gut for stuff? Really low. Okay? Do what you think. Do what, do what not. You ought to distrust yourself. Why? Because your thoughts are not God's thoughts. Your ways are not. He just told you that. He, he said, you got, you got to turn away from your own ways and your own thoughts. Let's work this out. So you're married, right? You have a conflict with your spouse. You're on your way home from work, and you know you're going to talk about this when you get home. And on your way home from work, you're running it over in your mind. And literally, like, like honestly, you cannot think of one single tiny, itty-bitty piece of this thing that is your fault. I mean, it's, it's all your spouse's fault. And it's, they're completely in the wrong. And you're completely in the right. And the more you think about it, the more you think of other times when you've been completely in the right and they're completely in the wrong. And, and, and pretty soon, by the time you pull up in your driveway, you are just thinking, what kind of a martyr am I to have to put up with this spouse that continually does me wrong? All right, at that moment, let me just help you. Your thoughts are not God's thoughts. And your ways are, you see what I'm saying? You're messed up. And you're like, but yeah, but I, I, I've examined this. I am 101% right. That's because your mind is 100% broke, Okay. Like, like, I mean, this is just one of those principles that I think we don't get a lot of times. When, whenever you, you have something you know is sin, and you've condemned it in other people, but all of a sudden, it, it just, you can justify why it's okay for you. I'm telling you, I've had smart, brilliant people in this church look at me and give me this explanation for why it's okay that they're doing what they're doing. You ought to distrust yourself. Here's what I see all the time. I can't, I, don't, I, I can't invest in others. I can't give in that way. I can't serve in that way. I, I, can't, I can't do this mission because of my unique circumstances. That sounds really plausible. And everybody says it. Okay? We all have... Like, we can justify why we don't, we don't do whatever. We don't serve. We don't, we don't, we're not following Jesus in this because of my particular circumstances, right? 
it's because I'm not tall enough or it's because I'm this age or it's because I, I live in this part of town or it's because, I mean, actually the one that everybody says is I'm busy. Distrust your own thoughts. That's, that's what Isaiah 55 is saying. You want, you want the path to happiness? Don't trust your thoughts. Don't trust what you think. Trust this. This. Trust it. Man, say, okay, God, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. I am trusting what you say. I'm trusting you. Your ways are higher than my ways and your thoughts than my thoughts. Folks, you are being invited into everlasting joy, infinite happiness. It's coming. It's out there. And right now you're being invited to embrace Christ and to begin to receive that even through the midst of the trials and difficulties of life. Okay? Is it that good? It is. How do I know? By faith. But that, that's, listen, it's not a stretch for us, is it? To say that even, even if you don't love Jesus, you don't know Jesus, you don't care about Jesus. Still, I think you would say today that you realize that, that not everything has the same capacity to bring joy. Right? So let me give you an example. This is an M&M. Probably one with some lint on it now. It's an M&M. I could give this to honey. Or I could just eat it. That's good. <laughs> Is there a difference between the joy that just came to me through that M&M and the, or the joy, let's just take another joy, the joy of a healthy body, a body that uh, doesn't ache when you get out of bed, a body that uh, is able to do whatever, whatever you're called to do in your life, be productive and work, and a body that's able to get out and play basketball or frisbee with the kids, go to the playground, a body that doesn't get tired, you know, throughout the day. Which, which would you say of those joys is greater? And I think most people would say, well, man, the healthy body, that's a greater joy than that M&M. In fact, that M&M is already gone. That tells you the truth. I'm going to have to have another one in order to keep that up, for real. Because it didn't satisfy anymore. Like, it's gone. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I do not get any benefit from that last M&M. All right, I eat another one, okay? And I got I to gotta keep doing that. Because it, it's so fleeting. Let me give you another example. Would you agree with me? And again, I don't think you have to love Jesus to agree. Would you agree that the joy of a one-night stand is not near as great as the joy of being married to your best friend for 25 years. See, those are different joys. But I think even someone who didn't love Jesus would say, you know what, I can see how that one is so much bigger. And in fact, the other, while, while you had an immediate gratification, it came with guilt and remorse and, and maybe, possibly, depending on the circumstances, possibly a lifetime of hurt and chaos. And the other 
The other builds. Like it had tough times, and, but, but the joy that comes from all of that is so much greater. And so all, all I'm asking you to do this morning is just consider if, if, we can, if we can judge those, if we can see that, then isn't it, isn't it logical that the joy that would come from the God who created you, the God who built you, the God who put you together, that the joy that would come from him, isn't it possible that that is phenomenally greater than any joy that you could get in this life? That's what the scripture's saying. Now, if, if today you will embrace that by faith, you know, what, you, know, you know what you'll do? You'll run hard after it. You'll, you'll come and you'll seek and you'll forsake and you'll listen and you'll hear and you'll incline your ear and you will pursue what God has to give. That's how you know if you believe it. You run hard after it. And I hope you believe it. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for being so good to us. Thank you, Jesus, for this great invitation into life. Jesus, you're the bread from heaven. Uh, God, you came that we might have life, that we might have it abundantly, we might have it forever. And Father, I, I pray, God, that you would remove the distractions, that you would remove our, our spiritual struggles, God, of listening and of paying attention and going after the fleeting pleasure of this life. And God, help us to zero in on all the goodness that you have to offer. Father, draw our hearts to that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?